Welcome to the Dolly at WVU podcast, Getting to Know Each Other. I'm your host today, Jacina Hazlett, director of Ollie. Today I'm speaking with author and Ollie member Sarah Blizzard Robinson. In 2018, Sarah published her memoir, As a Result, in which she candidly tells the story of her childhood and young adult years that were overshadowed by alcoholism and devastating loss. She talks with us today about how writing helped her face her demons. Let's jump right in as Sarah tells us about her entry into writing. When I really look back, I've been writing since third grade. And Mm -hmm. so I took a correspondence course and I had an aptitude for nonfiction without a doubt. Mm -hmm. Um, It was interesting because the assignments were um, not fiction one session and then the next session would be nonfiction and you alternated clear through the course and it was really a great overview and it and it taught me a lot and then I took an advanced course and then when we moved to Morgantown and my daughters were growing up my our youngest was in eighth grade when we moved here and it was time for me to really figure out what I wanted to do as um, a mom whose children were becoming very independent and and strong and, and, you know, they were functioning very well on their own. So I heard about the West Virginia Writers Conference down in Ripley. And I thought, well, I'm not really a writer. I mean, am I a writer? <laughs> so I went with that kind of attitude, like, maybe I'll just act as if I'm a writer <laughs> and see what happens. And lo and behold, I met Mary Lucille DeBerry there. And she was in a workshop and she stood up and read something that she had just written at that time. And it was funny and it, and it captured me. And so I introduced myself to her after that workshop. I think she wouldn't mind me saying this. I consider her my mentor. She started to take an interest in what I was writing and she was so safe for me to go to. Um, the first class I took at Ollie, um, as I said, was about nine years ago. I'm telling you, out of that poetry workshop came so much good work. And I say good work, I have had a lot published um, from that poetry workshop. So mind you, when you are a new, relatively new writer, as I felt I was, and you have something published or someone takes interest in your work, you want, you want more. You, you want to keep growing and changing. And so my memoir was rather an organic essays, some poetry, but there's very little poetry in my memoir, actually. Um, but a lot of my childhood, my marriage, uh, my family of origin, so much is in that short little book. I knew that I had something. My husband kept saying, you've really got to work here. He would come home from work when I was in the midst of writing about losing my brother John to a tragic drowning. And I was writing the memories of the scenes of dad calling me on the phone to tell me my brother's body had been found. I mean, just horrific memories. My brother was 23 when he drowned and I was 22 at the time. So mind you, I'm you know thinking back over this very tragic event. And my husband would come home, he would walk upstairs to where I had an office and he would say, are you okay? (laughs) And I would have been crying for, you know, 10, 15 minutes. And I'd say, you really need to hear what I've just written. And I would recite to him 
a few paragraphs, and I'll never forget what he said. He stood there and he said, if this work that you are working on, if these stories never see the light of day, they have done you more good. And it was therapy for me. It, writing is therapy still for me. I have worked through a lot of loss, a lot of grief. That, that's how writing has helped me. And one of the poems that I'd like to read real quickly, it's not very long. It's by, this is not my poem, but I'm just going to read you Mary Oliver's The Visitor. Because when I first heard this poem, I was actually at an Al-Anon conference um, somewhere in Mississippi back in the day. But um, this is how Mary Oliver describes her father. And when I heard this read aloud, it struck me because it reminded me so much of my dad and my relationship with my dad was very complicated. <clears throat> and I had a lot of resentments towards him, okay? But he was an alcoholic. I, I would, uh, he would even tell you <laughs> he was an alcoholic. Um, but he died a number of years ago and we did kind of mend our relationship and that is in my memoir, which you know, I, I'd come a long, long way. Um, but this is entitled The Visitor by Mary Oliver. My father, for example, who was young once and blue-eyed, returns on the darkest of nights to the porch and knocks wildly at the door. And if I answer, I must be prepared for his waxy face, for his lower lips swollen with bitterness. And so for a long time, I did not answer, but slept fitfully between his hours of rapping. But finally, there came the night when I rose out of my sheets and stumbled down the hall. The door fell open, and I knew I was saved and could bear him, pathetic and hollow, with even the least of his dreams frozen inside him, and the meanness gone. And I greeted him and asked him into the house and lit the lamp and looked into his blank eyes, in which at last I saw what a child must love. I saw what love might have been, might have done, had we loved in time. So that's a short little poem that expresses the catharsis that you can have when you've overcome that difficult relationship. And they haven't changed. Maybe they've even gotten worse, but you have. And you are drawn to forgiveness and acceptance of, and 12-step and recovery, I'll be real honest with you. I got into AA and Al-Anon in 1986. My husband and I both have been sober since January 1986, and that's a miracle. We're still married after all these years. We made it through a really, really tough time in our marriage. So there was a lot to cover in my memoir. And I have to give Ray Jean so much credit because Mary Lucille had published um, some poetry books with Ray Jean and, and she highly recommended her. But at the time I thought, no, you know, I really need to go through an agent. I really need to find a publisher. And I worked at that for years, okay? So finally I said, well, I'll take some workshops at Ollie with Ray Jean. And she was teaching memoir, but she calls it personal and family history writing projects. Mm -hmm. And I sat there thinking about my work the whole time when she was sharing, and she is one of your best instructors. I mean, I, she covers so much for the student. 
then I attended her self-publishing workshop. And I thought, you know, what is it, you know, why am I so hesitant? Because she would see me for an hour, she said, for no cost, she would just do a consultation. So I took my manuscript in and met with her for an hour. And she said, I'm going to take this with me and I'm going to look through it and I'll get back to you. She did. And I, in the meantime, talked to my husband and, and we contracted with her. And it took a year from the time she and I first met to the time of the publication of my memoir. And my memoir is getting excellent reviews on Amazon. And it's because of Regine's editing. I'm not an editor. I can't edit people's work. I might even suggest the wrong things. But she read it so thoroughly and she highly recommended a woman in Pittsburgh to do the first edit. Um, the sequence and the, the, the order of events. And that was real interesting to me. So I subcontracted with a woman named Ginny in Pittsburgh and um, she and Ray Jean and I met the three of us and they confronted me. And it was real interesting because after they read the entire manuscript, they said, well, we have something to tell you. Um, you currently have your marriage story way down in chapter 12. And I had originally begun my memoir with my brother's tragic death. And they said, we really want your marriage story to be at the very beginning, whether it's a preface or chapter one, but we want you to start with that. And then we'll pick up later on, you know, where that leaves off. And I said, well, I better go home and talk to my husband first because his story kind of figures in pretty prominently with mine at that time. So I did, I, I spoke to him about it and he said, well, will you change my name? It was just real interesting to me, but I wasn't convinced that it was my story yet. I kind of thought I was telling my brother's story. But when those editors saw the entire, from start to finish, what I was trying to bring to fruition, they said, this is your story. So it is, it is my story. And, um, but like I say, the editing has been a tremendous, tremendous boost. Um, I will say there's a disclaimer um, right in the very beginning of my book that it helped me because I knew when I was going to publish this that it was a very personal story. It did include some family members, even though I changed the names. I didn't want to wound any further than we'd all been wounded as children and young adults, but this is what it says. The stories retold from my childhood and later years are based on memories, which often fade and sometimes slip. Perspectives vary from individual to individual. In the case of our family, our different ages and places in the family led us to have significantly different experiences. I've selected new names for most everyone so as to shield my family from any embarrassment. This recounting of our lives together is as true as I can recall, and as the circumstances allow, apologies are offered for any inadvertent oversights. So that's what Popular helped me with. Ray Jean's company is Popular, and mm -hmm. she and, and Andrew uh, just did a phenomenal job with me. Now, mind you, it's a humbling process because, you know, there are times when, um, well, for instance, the first editor and this, your readers, your um, listeners might find this interesting. My original manuscript was like 80,000 words. And the first editor from Pittsburgh, Jenny Cunningham, when she got a hold of it, she said, I'm cutting 30,000 words out of this. But she said, I'll keep it in a separate document and I want you to take a look at what I've removed. 
And she said, my point is your readers want to be able to tur turn the page and I want to make this more readable. And when you digress and when you emote a lot, she said, you're slowing the reader down. She would take things out. So she did. And, and that's why I have a much better book than what I might have published myself. Um, she also said something absolutely profound. Um, we were sitting at this very first meeting, um, Jenny and, and Ray Jean and myself, and I kind of felt defensive. And I said, you know, so many of my writer friends, family members, some of my really good friends in Morgantown have, have read excerpts and have read some of them clear through the manuscript. And I've been getting feedback and I've been doing self-editing. And Jenny says, well, let me tell you something. You've got to pay for brutal. And I, I'd never heard it put that way because, yeah, it needed a brutal editing. Mm -hmm. And brutal can hurt. Yes. <laughs> in fact, she removed one scene that I felt needed to be in back in. And it was when I lived in Wheeling. We had a flash flood at our home and for some reason she'd removed it but i think it was a mistake and she admitted she said oh i never really meant to remove that but anyway it's back in the memoir the, mm -hmm. the flash blood scene because it was a time when i saw a difference in my brother my brother john who was such a troubled young man um so anyway that gives you a whole lot of information have do, i i don't mean to monopolize this oh no <laughs> that's a fascinating story um as a writer we you have a story to tell and you have things that you have to get down and and i'm not sure that um for for any novice writers or people thinking about writing out there who are listening um the idea that as a writer i personally don't think it's your job to edit yourself that that's what an editor is for mm -hmm. so you know it, it's always easier in some ways to put it all down to get it all out mm -hmm. than to try to come back and add so having a good editor um if your goal is to publish for publication for if you want that finished product having that good editor um is a wonderful thing but at the writing stage i think that you know don't don't feel like uh you need to edit yourself would you agree with that oh that's a such a great point um you know, we do need to spill it all out, like you were saying, put it all out there on the page, because really the revision process that you go through is really the fun part to me. Um, what you said about <clears throat> the editing, um, that writers really don't need to worry about that so much, <clears throat> is so true. And I've been taking poetry workshops with uh, mad women. Um, if you're familiar with Mad Women of the Attic, um, Lori Wilson teaches classes locally. I've taken a couple of her workshops and they've really been beneficial. And one of the nice things that's happened as a result of those workshops is I've had some poems published in what they call Voices from the Attic Anthology from Carlew um, University press so i will read you uh one of my poems that and this is typical because this ties in with exactly what you were saying when the mad women of the attic sends me an email and says we are ready to publish another anthology please submit a couple of poems invariably my poems are two pages long and invariably i have received 
feedback that says, well, we really like your work, but we're going to minimize it. We're going to use just the first 10 lines. And I'm perfectly okay with that. But I save my original document too. But, but yes, we, I don't have that eye that the editor does. I don't know what their readership might be most interested in as well. But here's one that was published. And as I told you, I've experienced a lot of death, a lot of, you know, loss, and I have been to way too many funerals. And so this poem came to me in a workshop with Susan Saylor, and I titled it, Everything is Staged. Everything is staged from mood lighting to peace lilies to ever-present guest book and pen. Tissues in random boxes raise their hands. Pick me. Directors in suits and ties wearing pleasant smiles escort us through double-wide doors. One takes particular pride in working with the dead. He asks, am I pleased with my eldest sister's makeup? Outstanding job, I whisper, after hearing older brother say she looks hideous. What'd you expect? She bled out for weeks. Still, friends file in more like fiends or foreigners. One mourner, a woman with red-yellow eyes, grabs my arm despite my sudden interest in condolence cards. Oh, you resemble your sister, the best bridge partner ever, she slurs. I smell another cirrhosis victim, though her Chanel number no. five might knock me dead. Another funeral in the making. So that's just an example of some of the darker things that I've written about. Um, I do have some lighter stories in my memoir um, because I want readers to know I had some idyllic times in my childhood. Um, and there are places in my memoir that figure prominently. Um, some of them, of course, Wheeling, West Virginia is where I was raised, but I was born down in Virginia in the Highlands in Abingdon, Virginia, which is where my sister, who I just read about, my sister died. Um, she lived there for many years, so I still go back. Um, I have Our youngest daughter lives there, near there now, but I'm, I'm just saying place can figure so prominently in your work that it sometimes takes on a character, um, aspects of a character. Um, so I, I do write about wheeling and, and Virginia. I also write about Cape Cod, Massachusetts. Um, my dad was a blue collar worker. He was, um, a mechanical engineer and, um, supervisor at a power plant and he got two weeks vacation every summer. And we would go to Cape Cod traipsing all the way from Southwest Virginia to Cape Cod, Massachusetts in one fell swoop. It was like a 21 hour drive. And so, of course, I had to write about that. I had to write about that drive. Because <laughs> you don't know what difference your, your work might make to someone. Once you make your memoir public, especially a personal memoir as mine is, you don't know what kind of feedback you might get. And be prepared for anything. And I think I owe Ray Jean a great debt of gratitude because she helped me to make important decisions about some of the things I decided not to include and some of the things that are in there, so. 
Well, thank you. No, that that you wrapped that up actually very nicely because I was I was going to ask you, you know, what what when you you talked about how you started writing and it was a personal thing and and I I understand that, um, but um, I was going to ask you, you know, what you think you're getting at, what you've gotten out of this experience that you, you you don't know how um, how you can impact somebody else's life by this, by sharing your experiences. And I think that, you know, just overall as a society, we are becoming more aware of removing those stigmas that have often have, have long been in place about childhood trauma, about mental illness, about whatever your personal struggles are, that there's been stigmas surrounding it and, and we keep them hidden. And sometimes those family stories, they stay in families, but they're talked about in whispers and, exactly. and different family members see things in different ways. Yes. And that, that's your, your disclaimer, I think is very important to, to say that this is, I'm putting this out there as my story, but please understand that this is my, this is how I lived it and how I experienced it. And maybe my brother or sister or mother, they have different perspectives on it and that's okay too. But this right. one is mine. And that's I think right. it validates, it helps to validate people's personal lived experiences and remove the yes. stigmas. So true. So, so true. I, I took liberties with my brother's story because he wasn't here to tell his story. And he died so young, so tragically. And as I said, my writing was working through that. You know, I've worked through so much and I feel like sometimes when we put these stories out there from our lives, you know, and we get really good professional help in how it's going to be on the final page, you know, the printed page, it can do service. It can do more good than harm. And most of my writings, probably over 50%, I would say for sure, are about my brother, John. Mm -hmm. We were like twins growing up. So we had a closeness. He could practically read my mind. I could practically read his. We laughed at the same things, you know, and we had a falling out when we were teenagers because that's when he started into the drug use and it scared me. And um, I had my own issues, and, but um, we, we were close at one time. And um, I think somehow this book and my writing keeps me close to him in a, in a way. Any last words, um, advice for people who might be thinking about um, writing something or thinking that, oh, I don't have anything to say or... Hey, do what suits you. Just because I've made my story public and, and I enjoy the book talks and things, I, I kind of put myself out there. Don't feel like, well, I don't have anything, you know, worth sharing. But if you enjoy the writing process, if it, if it gives you peace and gives you some catharsis in whatever you've gone through, just keep writing. Um, I highly recommend the workshops at Ollie. Like I said, I'm very assignment driven. And when you think you might like to write, I would highly recommend a creative writing workshop, a poetry workshop, um, journaling workshop, whatever. But um, yeah, I, I think it's, well, look at, I have my grandmother's journal sitting right here. She was 
born in 1899, and she didn't even start journaling until she was in her 70s. So, but her, her journal is a recount of her childhood, and, and oh, those memories that she has are, they're incredible. And I could spend the next 30 minutes telling you about some of her stories. Mm -hmm. And of course, my aunt, bless her heart, my dad's only sister, had my grandmother's journal bound for each of the grandchildren. And it's just a little booklet. But I'm telling you, those family stories, they, I treasure them so, so much. And I think they'll come to mean so much to my children as they get older. Because that's when I really got interested in family history. I even hired a family history girl. It's called Tree Shakers. So anybody who wants to know more about their family history and maybe is getting stuck on some of the websites, um, I highly recommend Tree Shakers. Um, you could just Google okay, and um, look at that website. She she presented a folder to me with a lot of family history that I was not aware of. And, and I, I write about some of it now. So it's good to have. Good well, to have. I, yeah, I think it's such an important way of, of preserving history. I mean, that, that's, that's how we preserve history. That's right. And is, to, is right. to keep telling keep telling the stories and passing down the stories from one generation to the next and so yes. that that we don't forget and so that people's memories live on and 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 our collective history as as a state as a country as a as a world and as a species continues yes. so exactly. um yes well exactly. again thank you so much i really appreciate it Sarah will be joining Ollie as an instructor during our upcoming winter term, teaching The Memoir Inside of You on Wednesday, February 3rd. The course will offer tips on beginning the task of writing, making revisions, and publishing your memoir. Again, we want to thank Sarah Blizzard Robinson for sharing her story today, and we hope you'll join us for our next podcast. Have a great day.